today. We're in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5 through 9. And I titled this, Mere Servants of One Master. Mere Servants of One Master. First Corinthians third chapter, beginning in verse five. We have this. It says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Your verse your uh, version might say, What is Paul and then Apollos? But the oldest manuscripts have them in that order, and they think that Paul wrote it that way for a reason, just to make himself more minor than he really was, than than the people were holding him up to be, because he's the one that founded the church there at Corinth. But what are we? Whatever, what are we? It says. I ask this question, who am I that I should be named a leader? Who am I? You're going to go out and start a church and call it the Church of Herschel? That's what they were doing in Corinth. Oh, my preacher's Paul. My preacher's Apollos. My preacher's this, my preacher's that. We still have that today to a degree that people follow a preacher. There are some people that think Charles Stanley hung the moon, but he didn't. And Charles would be the first person to tell you that he didn't hang the moon. Billy Graham was a man used by God. But Billy Graham would tell you that don't believe in Billy Graham. Billy Graham always pointed to Jesus. And there are others, famous, famous preachers, at the age of 25, Charles Haddon Spurgeon was preaching to thousands in England. And so what Paul is saying here is don't worry about the name, who I am or who Apollos is or whatever. He said, you look at who they preached. You look to Jesus. Don't look to me, because I will fail you. And Paul said later on in another writing that, at, uh, that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I'm the chief of all sinners, Paul said. But yet these people were saying, Paul's my man. 
Paul's my man. And so, see, and this is something that really needs to be said. And I'm saying it. Ministers have no authority to command. Ministers have no authority to command. This uh, word here, when they say uh, that ministering service, what is Paul? Ministering service. Do you know what he's saying here in the Greek? This is doulos. This is a servant. This is a foot washing servant. This is the guy that when you came to visit somebody, that when you come in the house, you kicked your sandals off of the door and he washed your feet. That's what Paul is saying that we are. That ministers are servants of the church, not rulers of the church. And so this is where this is where we stand. The, the pastor does not have the authority to rule the church. And neither do the deacons. Deacons are table waiters. You talk about having fellowship? If you had a fellowship, you know, the, the potluck here, if you had deacons here, what they're supposed to be doing? They're supposed to be walking around, walking around saying, you need some more tea, you need some more of this, you need some more of that. That's what, that's what deacons are supposed to be doing. Not calling the preacher in the office and, and running him off. That's the reason I quit being a deacon. I'm an ordained deacon, First Baptist Church, still on the road down there. But Ted Witchin would come in, and he'd say, he'd have a, we'd have a deacon's meeting, and he'd start this, I want you deacons to do I'd say, wait a minute, brother. I said, that's not our job. And the others would say, yeah, that's right, that's not our job. But sooner or later, you get tired of reprimanding the preacher, and I don't think it's my job to reprimand the preacher. So I said, okay, I resign. I will not be a ruler. I will not be a lord in this church. I will no longer be what you call a deacon. If I can do service, yes. But if, I, if you want me to govern, no. Definitely not what that's supposed to be. And this is what Paul is saying here. The minister, he said, we are ministering servants, not heads of parties. Through whom you believed. In other words, the minister is supposed to be a conveyor of the truth. Now, that's where his authority lies. The authority of the, the 
pastor or the minister is supposed to be the authority to for, uh, to convey the truth correctly. Not to go out here and lead you off into some other situation like James Earl or whatever, whatever his name was, Jones, down there in Guyana and and this uh, guy down here in Texas, uh, that uh, down at Waco, Texas, and all that. That's not the role of a pastor. These guys were doing just exactly what Paul said don't do. They were setting themselves up as I am your leader. I will tell you what the, what's right and what's wrong, and you will do as you will follow after me. No. The minister is supposed to be a leader, and you're supposed to be followers, as long as he doesn't get out of this book, as long as he doesn't set himself up as a dictator. And that's what... That's what Paul's saying here. See, because I had a question asked of me, and of all places, at Trenton, Arkansas. You know where it is? Down south of Poplar Grove, down there. I stopped by there one day when I was driving for the college all the time. I'd get sleepy sometimes. I had favorite cemeteries that I like to pull into and, and sleep because those people out there don't object. I asked them, I said, what are y'all doing? They said nothing. And so I pulled in front of this little church down there across from Trenton Baptist Church at uh, black congregation there. I was sitting there one day dozing off and a guy, a black guy in a pickup truck come up there and wanted to know what I was doing. I told him what I was doing. And I said something about that I was preaching at Turner or something. And he looked at me just as straight and he said, but are you called? And I thought, what a profound question coming in a place like Trenton, Arkansas, from a black man that's a member of a congregation there, and he says, but are you called? And that's the question of all ministers, is, are you called? Or as Cliff Bernard jokingly says, he says, the only job I could find that didn't require any work. Cliff's a good preacher and a good man, but he, but he just sometimes he just does things like that, you know. And he's definitely not a dictator. He is definitely not one that tells people what to do and how to do it. He told them that when he came there. I will not do that. And so that's the that's the situation that that you had here in this town. But but as far as propagating the truth, I would say that Cliff Bernard's is definitely down the straight and narrow as anybody I know that will that will do that, that uh, lead you 
in the straight and narrow. And that's what the, the pastor or the preacher is supposed to do. But not drive you from behind. Steve in Korea, we had a guy here. You might have studied under Tommy Vincent. Drafting. He was a drafting instructor about the time you were going out there. Uh, Tommy Vincent was an ex-Marine, and he was an architect. He was a registered architect. But he said in Korea, when those Chinese hordes would come down through there, he said it looked like a big gray wave coming at you, blowing those bugles and everything. The ones behind didn't have any weapons. They were to grab weapons from the dead ones that fell as they, as they came. But he said they came in waves. He said you could smell them. But you know where the officers were? Behind them with swords driving them on. What the average life expectancy of a second lieutenant was during the, uh, during the Korean War was seven minutes. Because he was supposed to be the second lieutenant was the leader. He was the, the guy out front. And so he's the one that got shot. So life expectancy was about seven minutes. But that's what a, a leader is supposed to lead, not drive. And so that's what Paul is saying here. He says, are you not proving yourselves ordinary men, unchanged men? He's saying here that, look, God gives the gifts. God makes the call. He gave me the gift of what? P church planting. He gave Apollos the gift of coming along behind and doing what? Building up. You, we've got a fancy term we use in the church called edification. Well, uh, you go down and you look at some of these fine buildings and everything we've got in this United States, the court buildings and stuff like that, and you say, that's a, that's a nice edifice. And that's what it is. It's an edifice. It's a building. And that's all that word means. We try to Christianize it or something. But to edify somebody is to build somebody up. And that's what that's all about. And that's what Apollos' gift was. And then there's another uh, one that's not mentioned here, but you're very familiar with them, uh, Barnabas. In the Hebrew, bar means son. Barnabas means son of Nabus. And Nabus is encouragement. See, his name was not Barnabas. That's what they called him, Barnabas. But I forget, his name I think was Joseph. But that's not the point. The point was he was the son of encouragement. He was the one that told Paul that time when him and uh, uh, one of the, uh, Mark had kind of come to a parting of ways. Barnabas comes in and he kind of gets everything back like it's supposed to be, you know. And that's, uh, that's a gift. 
you have the gift of administration. There are those in the church that know how to put everything together, make everything work together. You've got the one that's uh, the gift of, of uh, music. You've got the one that's uh, the gift of teaching. You've got all these gifts. But who determines who gets the gifts? God does. And God is the one that says how you use the gifts. And that's what Paul is saying right here. He says, look, God gives the gifts. But in verse 6 it says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God all the while was making it grow, and he gave the increase. Different assignments are given, but there's only one producer of results. God produces the results. He gives you an assignment, gives you an assignment, gives me an assignment. He gives you all assignments. But they all work toward one goal. And that's what he said, God gave the increase. Without God, without God, planting and irrigation is in vain. You can go out here in this fertile ground we got out here, and you can put seed in that fertile ground. But unless God is involved, that seed will never sprout. That seed, if you look, it's got everybody de-germ cornmeal. I can tell you how to get it de-germed. Take it to my backyard and put it out there on a the fence post, and there's a little squirrel out there that'll de-germ every one of them grains of corn. He won't eat the whole grain. He'll eat that germ out of the middle of it. And, then the, the, and, and not one of those grains of corn that hits the ground down there will sprout because he's done eat the germ out of it. But that's what, that's where it is. That God-given ability in Genesis says reproduce after your own kind. Everybody says, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Easy, chicken. He created the fowls of the air and told them to go lay eggs and reproduce. Stupid question. What came first, chicken or the egg? And I heard something that said on National Geographic, they said birds are dinosaurs. You know, oh, yeah, they, they claim that uh, birds are one day a, a dinosaur egg hatched out and it was a bird. No. <laughs> and so you see, that's, that's without God... You can water that plant until it, and it won't do anything. It won't do anything. See, without God, planting and irrigation is vain. See, and verse 7 says this, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters but only God 
who makes it grow and become greater. The church planter, he's got his job as assigned by God. The one that comes behind him to pastor that church has his job from God. But who grows the church? Jesus said upon this rock, that confession of Peter, I will build my church. He tell you to do it, did Charles? He told us to to follow orders, to to do what he tells us to do. But who's going to build the church? You can go out there and put signs out in the old road. You can even put a kind of barricade out there and make them drive through the parking lot. But that ain't no. That ain't going to build the church. God is the one that builds the church. So we are laborers, verse 7. We are laborers who work for God, not for their own glory. To God be the glory, great things he has done. The song says, and he's correct. You don't work to go down there and say, man, look what we did at the, at the West Acres Baptist Church. Me and old Charles got together, and we went out, and we did this, and we did that, and we did that, and we really built up that church. Better watch out. Better watch out. You're claiming glory for yourself and not for what God did. God said, Jesus said, I'll build my church. And so we have, and then verse 8, we are united. He says, he who plants and he who waters are equal. Yet each shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. We are united as to one goal. And that means Arkansas Valley Association should be united for one goal. West Decker Church, West Elder Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church, Second Baptist Church Park, all of them ought to have one goal, and that's to evangelize where we live. To be the church of Jesus Christ in this area, united, not divided, but united. United as to one goal. What's our goal? To reach this community for Christ. That's our job. That's our assignment. You say, where did you get that? Well, I think somebody said, go ye therefore. 
go ye therefore, preaching and teaching all that I have commanded you. Hmm. Isn't that an order? That's an order from the commanding general right there. Go and do what I told you to do and baptize in my name. And that's, that's, the, that's the marching order. Oh, it's not, a lot of the hymn books today don't have more Christian soldiers in it anymore. They've even got a lot of the song books now, they've taken the blood out of it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Don't you know how simple that is? The book says the life is in the blood. And so when Jesus shed his blood, what does it say? He shed his life. I just watched it a while ago on Smithsonian Channel about when sharks attack. Ten-year-old boy on the beach out there in Carolina somewhere. Shark come up and grabbed him by the leg. Two men ran out there and tried to get him loose, and the shark was pulling, and they were pulling, and they were pulling, and they got the kid up on the beach. They got the medics there, but when you cut that femoral artery, you got about eight minutes to live. And he bled out, and he died. Why? Because the blood drained out of him, and that means the life drained out of him. And so when we say nothing but the blood, Nothing but the blood, nothing but the life of Jesus can wash away my sin. The life that he gave. So it's the way, it's, you know, people say, oh, blood, blood. No, it's the life. And so we all have different jobs, but each is necessary and together as God's team for for rewards as the as he determines by the conduct of the worker did you notice and i noticed this in this study that it does not say well done successful servant What does it say? Well done, faithful servant. Success is not guaranteed. Success is left up to God. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be faithful. See, it's not based upon success, but of faithfulness. So, do we get disappointed at West Acres Baptist Church because we have not been successful in filling all these pews? But are we supposed to be faithful to come and do our part. 
And that's not to say we're not to try. You talk about somebody, Carol. <laughs> See, you can go too far with this. I'm Calvinist. And I believe that God has to give the increase. I don't believe any man can be saved when any man wants to be saved. I believe man can only be saved when he's dealt with by the hand of God, the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that I won't go out and visit and do all this church work, as we call it, in order to try to get the people to come. Charles Spurgeon was a Calvinist, but he was one of the greatest evangelists that England has ever known. So was Whitfield in the early colonial days, the revivals. These guys, they were drivers. They went out, they went out after the people. Go ye therefore. Compel them to come. But you had a brother-in-law who didn't believe that. He said, if God wants them in the church, he'll put them in there, right? Huh? Oh, you don't think so? <laughs> no, because <laughs> he's done gone face to face, has he? <laughs> yeah. But, but he was, he wouldn't go out visiting. No, sir. If God wants them in church, he'll bring them in. But that's not what it says. That's not what it says. God said, you do what you told, I told you to do, then I'll do what I'm going to do. See, verse 9 says this, For we are fellow workers, joint laborers, with and for God, it says co-workers under God is the way I wrote it here. Co-workers under God. Working jointly with God? Not hardly. God needs me? Not hardly. God doesn't need Herschel. God doesn't need you. What can you do for God? Nothing but obey. But as far as you going out, you think, oh, man, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to start this organization and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And how many times in history have you seen that? We're going to go out and we're going to... There's a theology that says that when... We get everything right here. When we get everything straightened up and leveled out and right, Jesus will come back and say, thank you, I'll take it from here. You believe that? I got a bridge over yonder for you. You don't do that. And so this verse here has been kind of controversial over the years. So... It says, that's the reason I put this question here. Because one, verse, one thing says, 
oh, we're working, we're joint workers with God. We link arms with God, and, and we're going to do it. No, that's not it. God doesn't need me to link arms. Working jointly with other Christians, yes, cooperatively. A lot of people don't, the, the independent Baptists don't like the cooperative program. I grant you that any man-made organization like the cooperative program has got its problems. But many of these independent little missionary Baptist churches who have sponsored one missionary to go to Africa and they're supporting that missionary and everything that he does and then one day they have a church split over something, the color of the steeple or whatever, they have a church split, and all of a sudden, or COVID comes in, and all of a sudden their income is gone. What's that missionary going to do over there in Africa? And all of a sudden his income is cut out. You know who brings him home? Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist. The missionary branch of the Southern Baptist many times brings him home. It's the only way he can get home. His church can't even buy him a plane ticket back home, much less for his family. So that's what it says here that we are fellow workmen, joint promoters, laborers together with and for God. And that's what it's supposed to be. We're working jointly with other Christians. Without God, I plant a tree which becomes a stick. I can plant a pecan tree like he was talking about a while ago, plant pecan trees. And if God doesn't do his, what Mother Nature, we call it, does, that pecan tree, that pecan tree will become a stick and be standing out there in the yard and do nothing. If you plant a seed, you're, having, you're demonstrating your faith in God. You plant a tree and you're demonstrating the faith that God will cause that tree to grow and it will become a pecan tree that your children can eat pecans off of. And 2 Corinthians says, well, I'm going to say the next part of that verse says, you are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. Now, we are God's field. Many times in the Bible, Israel is referred to as God's vineyard. And so this thing that Paul wrote here is not far-fetched. He says, you are God's field, your vineyard. 2 Corinthians 6.6, 6, we'll look right over there real quick. Second Corinthians 6.6 6 says, 
up the wrong thing here, but it says something about, uh, I guess I wrote down the wrong one. But anyway, uh, in this it says we're God's field vineyard. There's also the parable of the soils. You know, the seeds are planted, and some some ground is uh, hard, rocky, all that different stuff of soil. But what's the difference in the soil? The soil is not different other than its cultivation. You can take a turn row and plow it up and make it part of the field again. So what is said is, that you're God's field, who does the cultivation? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes the soil receptive for the seed, which is the word. God, Jesus said that's the word. And so the Holy Spirit makes a person receptive for the seed, and he becomes part of God's garden and or his vineyard. And then it says that it follows up and says, you are God's building. God's building. The temple is the glory of the architect. And the scripture says, don't you know that you're the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells within you? So who's the... Where, to? Who do you glorify? Who do you glorify? You glorify the preacher who, like Paul said, the preacher who preached to you? You're going to glorify the one who come along and helped you along with your edification process? No. Glory lies with the architect. And God is the architect. He's the one who designed it. How many of you know who was the foreman for a house that Frank Lloyd Wright designed? Frank Lloyd Wright, famous architect. Everybody knows about Frank Lloyd Wright, but nobody knows who poured the concrete. <laughs> But Steve, do you get any glory for for pouring a concrete that somebody else laid out and designed and and, de and decided what mix it was going to be and all this sort of stuff? No. When you're gone, that's a nice piece of concrete. Who designed it? They didn't say who poured it, did they? They said who designed it. And so this is what we are to do. We are supposed to be the house that God built. He's the architect. Not the laborers. Hebrews 3, 3 and 4. That'll teach me to look before I say something on it. Hebrews 3, 3 and 4 says this. Yet Jesus has been considered worthy of much greater honor and glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. 
For of course, every house is built and furnished by someone, but the builder of all things and the furnisher of the entire equipment of all things is God. So see, God is the one that gets the glory. Who knows about the builder? And then you got uh, uh, 1 Peter 2.5. 1 Peter 2.5 says, We come, and like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. He says that we are living stones, that we are the living stones built into a spiritual house to offer up sacrifices to God. And so this is, back to the title, we're mere servants of one master, and to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we thank you. We glorify you. But Lord, don't let us get proud. Don't let us glorify a preacher or deify a preacher. We can recognize that he is a gifted man. And we can appreciate him. But we must not ever forget who he represents. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let me tell